0: welcome baseball fans to the running the bases podcast coach bounds is off this week so i am very pleased to have kate fratar diehard oakland A's fan and good friend of running the bases on the show kate how are you
1: doing good a uh, long time listener here first time caller thanks for having me on
0: No problem. You know, Coach uh, couldn't be here this week, and it is one of the busiest, most exciting weeks of the year in baseball with the trade deadline coming up. So who better to talk to than you, a diehard Oakland A's fan, uh, land of Billy Bean, who pretty much invented the modern asset trade. So before we get to all the transactions going down, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Right. um,
1: Well, diehard A's fan, uh, really it's hard to think of a time when I wasn't at least a baseball fan you know just going back to when I would play t-ball or go to my brother's games and as a family if we went out to the ballpark we, we went out to ace games uh, as far as when that changed from yeah I root for the home team to yeah I keep scrapbooks what uh, that all <laughs> happened in middle school <laughs> which is uh, well was a pretty great time to be a sports fan I mean your, your heart's pretty much just out there for the take for the right team that comes along and I got pretty lucky. It was, you know, late 1990s, early aughts. And, you know, the team I got was the A's at the beginning of the Renaissance, kind of first iteration of Moneyball. And it was just a really exciting time and really great baseball. And it felt really good to feel among the first to to see some of these guys come up and go, wow, he can really play and and think, hey, this, this team can play. Maybe it will go somewhere. So, Right. So waiting for it to go all the way, but uh we'll right.
0: see. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Oh uh, man, my heart is heavy for, for Oakland A's fans, like yourself in particular. Um, so you were a uh, baseball fan first and then Oakland became your team, yeah?
1: Well pretty much. I mean uh, baseball was always there. It just it just sort of seemed like it was always on in the house kind of summertime sort of thing and then uh playing a lot of softball as a kid, you know, summer tournament leagues and travel and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, and it was also that kind of like early 2000 uh, time when we got season tickets for the first time, um, and we got the season pass. That was the weekday day game. So my mom would come to school, pick me up, the two of us would go. Uh, I went through pretty much every doctor, dentist, orthodontist, <laughs> excuse that you could possibly imagine.
0: Well played.
1: Uh Yeah. And uh, I remember one time she comes in with, like, her A's hat and, and all this stuff. I'm like, Mom, you might want to downplay it a little bit. <laughs> right.
0: Uh, I'm supposed think, to be... I think
1: fi- the teachers know. Yeah.
0: I'm supposed to be faking a whooping cough right now. So this is exactly. not helping. So. Um, so you're from Oakland, born and raised?
1: Yeah, born and raised uh this area. Went to school in Chicago. Great city, great sports town. Stuck around there for a little bit after I graduated moved home again in 2012 and i'm not saying my return had anything to do with the a's push and uh the end of that season but hey you never know what happens or why things happen
0: (laughs) yeah incredible season that year one of the best playoffs i've seen in a long time with the lone exception of the world series itself but yeah Yeah. uh, uh let me just say real quick that i as a you know, diehard Braves fan, if you will. Though I've become more right. of just an all-around baseball fan. First, Um, I can totally relate to that because uh, to your story of coming into the A's at the end of the '90s, early odds. I grew up with the Braves of the '90s, the worst to first '91 team that went to the arguably the best World Series ever in 1991, and. We didn't even have to come up with excuses. Going to a Braves game was an excused absence at my elementary school. <laughs> that's how Wow. But see, that's how how championship starved Atlanta was. Oakland, great history, the the Athletics themselves, the franchise history. I mean, those teams in the 70s with Reggie Jackson always get overshadowed by the big red machine of the same era yet it bears repeating the A's actually won three in a row, seventy-two to seventy-four. The Reds only two. So, right. So there you go. All right. So, uh, so, go ahead. When
1: school allowed you to play hooky, did you have to like bring in a, a scorecard as proof you went to the game, or, or show your ticket stub, or how did that work?
0: Ticket stub. Okay, (laughs) that's what it took. And we had Braves Day and, you know, all of that. I mean, it was a really it was an incredible time. I I credit that for why I just love baseball in general, because you get swept up in that kind of emotion, I think, no matter who you are, sports fan or not. So, yeah. So I feel you on that. So you have this rare perspective of you root for the actual general manager that coined Moneyball. Basically invented this idea of asset trading, and and you know now the trade market as we're seeing it right now, it's so much closer to Premier League soccer uh, than it ever was before. So that all being said, how do the true A's fans like yourself feel when Bean makes some of his moves? Both, oh yeah, that's absolutely makes sense, and then the ones that don't make a whole lot of sense, at least in the moment.
1: Right. Um, well, it, it's hard. I mean, as an A's fan, you, you really get attached to some of these guys, they do want to root for them because they seem like underdogs. They're either, you know, like a Josh Donaldson coming kind of out of nowhere from the Cubs farm system, used to be a, a catcher. His time as a big leaguer was not guaranteed, and, and now look where he is. Um, so it's really fun to to get to see that side of it. And then the other side of the coin is just, you know, they're not going to stick around forever. So, I mean, last year, the Cespedes trade, um, that was rough because you always knew he wasn't going to stick around, but I was kind of hoping it would, you know, get to say goodbye in the winter or something. It would numb the pain a little bit. Um, and actually, when the news hit that he was being traded to the Red Sox, I think the giveaway for that day was a, you know, on a Cespedes t-shirt. It was just like, oh, that's... wow. That's rough timing. Um, but, hey, it's not as bad as being told in the, the ninth inning and told you're going to the Blue Jays. But,
0: <laughs> oh, uh, I, I mean, I, I look at this as like it's as if you're dating these these players and then they just, you know, they break up with you, I guess, or your parents tell <laughs> you you can't see them anymore. <laughs>
1: funny in, in Chicago. I actually decided like I'm not going to choose White Sox or Cubs. Everyone would keep asking me. I was like, it's just it's a long distance relationship, guys. Like, don't. <laughs> I just picked up the Blackhawks um, because that was sort of a similar thing. Like I was there. My roommate was really getting into the team, and it was like Kane and Taves rookie season. So again, it was just like right place, right time to just sort of see a team come together. Um, you know, with these with these trades that happen. You know, sometimes you know it's not going to be forever and you're just hoping that uh, while they're here, it's going to work out well. Um, Yeah. And, and again, just kind of looking at the ace position last season with the trade deadline versus this season, um, the, the Samarsha trade was really exciting. I feel like that came, you know, at the beginning of the the rumor mill and it was definitely a bump that the team kind of needed when you're at that halfway point at the all-star break and, um, by all accounts Samarsta was the guy that, you know, was a friendly competitor. He could kind of make every guy feed off the other one in the starting rotation, wanna pitch better than the guy from the previous night. Um, and not taking anything away from Sonny Gray. I mean, he's our ace all the way, but um he's just still kind of a, a rookie. He's still new and uh as great as he is, I think having more of a better and like Samarsta really kind of was a good edge. Um and then Lester was a little bit more like kind of killed the mojo, uh, came at the end of the trading deadline, and it just sort of made all it way too serious. It's like, oh, well, the A's must be really making a push here instead of this kind of Oakland fashion wild ride. Let's see how far
0: it goes. That's interesting. Yeah. When you become the hunted as opposed to the hunter you know you're not used to that you probably yeah that makes sense you were not used to that moniker or the expectations were too high perhaps um let's talk Sonny Gray though real quick uh last night um against the Dodgers three hit shutout nine innings I think 9k well that a a shutout would imply nine innings uh but I think nine strikeouts and only a couple of walks how excited are you about this kid given that he could be traded next year. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it could be. Or, uh, you know, maybe, you know, sometimes Dean decides to keep certain guys around. Um, you know, just kind of going back to the A's have been really about pitching, you know, since the early aughts, the big three, Tim Hudson, Mark Mulder, Barry Zito, um, and the way that kind of worked out. Hudson and Mulder got traded. Zito stuck around a little bit longer. So maybe the way things are going, we'll, we'll trade a guy like Scott Casimir before he becomes a free agent, try to get some more prospects in, um, and keep Sonny Gray around. I haven't looked at his, his numbers, but I mean, he's got a like ridiculously low contract. It's, uh, it's kind of scary when you think about Jesse Chavez makes more money than Sonny Gray. But, uh,
0: Right. Well, I, I don't know the particulars of his rookie contract either. I'm sure he's still under control, team control for at least another two years. Um, but yeah, I mean that's that that was the thing. You know, that was always my counter argument to Moneyball was like, well, you know, if I had Mark Mulder, Barry Zito, and uh, Tim Hudson all in their primes, I'd do pretty well, I think,
1: <laughs> with yeah.
0: that team. And which is. Right. But that's a credit to 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 the draft and how smart Billy Bean has been in the draft. So when draft day comes around, what's that like in Oakland?
1: Um, I think you just sort of you buckle in and you wait to see how it all kind of comes together. Uh, and also just thinking about the winter too. I mean, it was. I think every time Billy Bean has a chance to shake things up and he thinks it's going to be good for the team, he'll go for it. Uh, so this winter it was there were a lot of big moves and. It almost felt like um, that moving major league, you start to see the roster, you're like, who are these guys? <laughs>
0: um, right.
1: But, uh, you know, when you talk about Moneyball, it's it's called Moneyball for a reason. Um, when you don't have a huge payroll, you can't really keep guys around. So you got to think creatively about how can you move them, when can you move them. Do you do one of those flips where you get rid of someone to get a trade from another team that you then turn over to get the guy you really want from a whole other team? Um, there's that great scene in the movie when they're when they're working on that. Uh and now that a lot of people are really kinda keyed into these saber metrics and playing more to, you know, how do we not just get a great player but how do we get sort of all the numbers to add up in a way that we need, um, it's just kind of making the the whole thing on a bigger stage. Um, and what you have to do to kind of keep that competitive competitive edge in terms of what's the Undervalued asset, um, and where do we find it? Right. So I think there's going to be a lot more, um, you know, trading and big names at the major league level to get some prospects like the A's have done this trading season uh, just so that they can keep that farm system fresh and, and hopefully bring up yeah, uh, some guys that have been proven and no can play.
0: Right. Well, let's take that and let's just transition right into the trade deadline. And we'll start with the A's. So Obviously, they were going to move pieces. We all know this. Casimir um, goes to the Astros. How do you feel about that and what you got in return?
1: Yeah, I uh, think my biggest surprise was, wow, if we were going to move Casimir, why would we put him in our division on a team that's really on a hot streak? you got to kind of tip your hat to Houston. Um, I think I'll kind of be rooting for them down the stretch if you know how far they can go. Uh but, you know, I always I always like when it's a nice story and Casimir's from Houston, so he gets to go back and, and play in front of the hometown crowd, which is always kind of nice. Again, just sort of getting the prospects. It'll be interesting, you know, whether or not they end up in Oakland or, you know, the trades that happen on the, the minor league level, what could happen there, what sort of talent might come in by the time we're ready to bring somebody up. Um, as talked about, free agent at the end of the season, you know, probably smarter for probably to try to make a move now rather than, you know, Scott goes out into the the free market and, and see where he ends up.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, how did you feel when uh, when Casimir came to the team? Did you think you would get quality seasons out of him or did you kind of think at the beginning like, well, he's a good he's a good piece for right now, but it'll be a better piece in a future trade?
1: I like that. I think Pazner wanted to, to come to Oakland is what I remember hearing. Um, he wanted to pitch at the Coliseum. I think he thought it would work out well for him. And um, I, I don't think we can have any complaints about his performance here. You know, All-Star last year kind of retold himself to keep playing. And, um, yeah, definitely kind of one of those guys where it's, uh, it's a bummer to see him go. But, uh, you know, just kind of want to, want to wish him well.
0: well there you go. All right, so next one, and I have a loaded answer for this, but um, Tyler Clipper goes to the Mets. How do you feel about that?
1: That uh, you know, that doesn't really pull at any kind of emotional heartstrings for me. When you know he was one of our winter acquisitions, um, and our bullpen has been you know all thrown off with Sean Doolittle out as our closer. Um, so Clipper stepping into that closer role for us looks like his number's been a little off from compared to last season. Um, and, yeah, you know, it doesn't, doesn't upset me too much to see him go. It'll be interesting more what the A's do with their bullpen with now we have to look to, you know, try to find another closer. It seems like that's been one of uh, Melvin's top tasks the past couple of seasons. Because even Sean Doolittle wasn't really carved out to be a closer and then he steps into the role when uh when Johnson got traded so
0: yeah well you have a a, a good kid coming in from that trade um and uh I'm being biased cuz he played in Savannah a little bit but um Meisner uh from the Mets drafted third round 2013 um and uh you know he's not going to be a bullpen I mean they're going to have to make him into a starter um you know you, you the the A's closer role you have bred more great closers uh than I can think of in the last 10 years I mean going all the way back to Keith Folk um Jason Isringhausen Houston Street um just so on and so forth I mean I don't know what to say other than good job by you, but it's so, it's so ironic when you're unable to keep one of these closers or, or maybe it's, is it more of just, you always know there will be somebody that steps into that role that will always be sufficient.
1: Yeah. It's, uh, it's interesting kind of going back to Moneyball. I mean, you're talking about the scrub closers that the A's have had, and I agree. Uh, but I think one of Bill James's points is like, there's really no need for a closer, um, and so I can see Billy being going, well, we'll kind of breed these guys into these closers uh, who can get that shut out inning. And then now that they've kind of been blessed as a closer and they have that, they're, they're worth a little bit more in a trade. Um, so I think there's a little bit of, you know, trying to find people who can just get that shut out inning and giving it to them uh, rather than trying to find the closer. But, you know, I think that also came about when fewer people were you know, trying to play this money ball sort of game uh, in terms of the, the number of stats that they're looking at. So I think more people are taking into consideration a lot more things in terms of who gets that ball at the end of the game, and we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, I've got high hopes that uh, Doolittle is going to get back and, and healthy and find his rhythm again for us because he was. Uh, he was a lot of fun to watch and, you know, definitely a right field bleacher favorite.
0: Right. Yeah. Oh, that name. So great. What a great name. Yeah. Doesn't even require a nickname. Just call him the doctor no. or Dr. Doolittle. What is his nickname out in right field at the o. Co? Uh,
1: you know, I think it's just Doolittle and then everybody stands up and kind of does his pose with the glove under the the chin.
0: Nice. Nice. Yeah. Um, We'll have to come back to that uh but lastly, and uh this to me would be the most painful, but you give up Ben zobrist to the Royals, the already powerful royals so um who not only are they powerful, they defeated you in the wild card uh last year so how are we feeling about this trade oakland a's fan
1: i uh, I was really excited about Zobrist coming in um especially with you know the rookie not really a rookie, but, you know, definitely his first season kind of playing every day, Marcus Simeon at shortstop. I thought that was going to be a really great combination that, you know, you had the veteran, Zobrist, uh, to kind of help mentor Simeon, and uh, it didn't really turn out that way. And you can't control for things like injuries. Um, Zobrist out for a month with a a knee surgery. Uh, And the other thing that was exciting about getting him – it's a sign of the times. You know, journeyman or utility man is no longer considered a, a, a bad thing if you can play multiple positions. Uh, it's great, and especially for the, the A's with that they play, uh, needing to be able to put guys in, in different spots on the field to maybe keep their bats in the lineup. Um, the Overs really seemed like a, a good pickup. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's tough to see him go, but it's kind of also I think the way it was sort of mapped out for us, it didn't really happen. You know, it wasn't in the cards for this season uh, for much to happen. So in terms of the A's kind of looking at this is the time to, we're not going to make a push for 15, but we can start building for 16, um, the Zobris trade definitely falls into that category of it's just time to look to the future.
0: Right. I find it interesting uh, looking at all these deals on the whole for the A's that it's they, they acquire it's all pitchers and then the one catcher from the Astros, uh, Jacob Nottingham. So clearly keeping their focus, and, and rightfully so. I've always said and believed the old adage that pitching great pitching always beats great hitting. Uh, and then that is what wins in the postseason. And the and the other part of Moneyball that, um, from the book and the movie that I always kind of spiritually agreed with is that you know, the playoffs are a crapshoot, especially now. And when the Braves were rolling through the 90s, winning division title after division title, and everyone was like, well, but only one World Series. I'm like, yeah, look at some of the teams we ran into. We always ran into the team that got hot at the right time, you know, especially right. in the wild card era. Like, you know, we ran headlong into the Yankees dynasty of the evil empire. Uh, the Marlins took us out in 97. They went on to win the whole thing. Uh, I think it was the Padres in 98. They were World Series bound. Uh, the Diamondbacks in 01. I mean, we just ran into, you know, these shooting star teams that. So um, that all being said, uh, you just mentioned this. What were the expectations going into this season, given all the moves that happened in the offseason for Oakland?
1: Yeah, uh, you got to kind of um, tip your hat to, to Bob Melvin, I feel like, at the beginning of the, the season or just even during the winter meetings. He, uh, I think, really stepped up as a manager, got in front of the press and was talking about some of these deals. He always kept it positive going, you know, 2012, no one really kind of knew what was going to happen with our team and, and look where we ended up. So he always kind of looked on the bright side of things. Um and he's a he's a fantastic manager, I think. He's the first one who can really understand Moneyball and what's going on in the front office and how to, to work players under that system and the idea that you put guys in the spots where they're most likely to succeed and uh, things will work out for you, which I think is just a great managerial approach for whatever job you have. Um wow but then you also it's it's baseball and it's it's hard to manage players who you know maybe they get on a streak and you got to pull them from a game or not start them and uh, he I think is a great guy in terms of just being able to manage uh, the clubhouse personalities and making sure that everyone understands you know what his role is on the team and and knowing that if he's not starting today he he's got a chance to come in at a key moment and pitch it and um, you know, the, the buzz is it works for some players better than others. There's been some rumors around Josh Reddick not always being happy and being vocal about that and you know, that would if he's criticizing Billy Bean, it means he's out of here. So
0: Right. Um, See, but it
1: looks like he's gonna be sticking around.
0: Yeah. You can talk to Josh Donaldson about what happens when you criticize Billy Bean. Right. Or not even that. Just call him a, a nickname he doesn't like and you'll you'll find your way out of Oakland. So um, sorry, I know that hurts. I won't keep mentioning yeah. it, um, intentionally, but um, well, let's shift over to uh to the big picture of the rest of the league and the trade deadline coming Friday. So a lot of big moves. Now I know you're American League, so uh, that's fine. I'll forgive you. Um, but uh, the big hey, you
1: guys are gonna lose your DH someday. We all know what's happening. It's gonna be a sad day, but it's it's
0: gonna happen. Listen, the senior circuit will never adopt the DH cuz we understand that baseball you have to play both halves. It's not about pitchers hitting, it's about hitters having to play the field, okay? See everybody misses that, you know. How 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 great would David Ortiz be if he had to play first base every day? He'd <laughs> be he'd be a disaster. So, well not a disaster, but you know. Anyway, I doubt it, but we'll see. We'll see. I'll buy you a uh, uh, a mission street pale ale if that ever comes to comes to pass um I like it all right um all right so the biggest one Troy Tulowitzki to the Blue Jays for Jose Reyes and three prospects um so how do you feel about this trade and what in the world are the Rockies doing
1: <laughs> yeah I mean it's 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 hard almost to get past the, the how they did it to think about actually why they did it um you know, I don't. I don't see how you take a guy who's spent his whole major league career with you, almost a decade, an all-star, and uh, you do. We kind of referenced it earlier in the podcast, but you do one of these. You know, take him out of the game uh, to let him know that he's been traded, um, and you want to tell yourself that you know these are professional ball players. They understand it's it's part of the job, and that this can happen, but. You know, there, I think there should be respect on both sides, and you know, I think it could have been handled better for whatever reason it came out that way. Um, I think uh, just kind of looking at the the Blue Jays, I I just got excited about the idea of Josh Donaldson and Troy Tulowitzki playing next to each other. Um, so that's kind of as far as I got with it.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm happy for Tulowitzki to be in a pennant race. Um, I think mm-hmm. that. You know great players really need to experience that in their career because you know when you're a great player you you're gonna make the money uh which he certainly did um but you you don't really know you know just the depths of how much of a ball player you are until you play in October, so I'm excited about that for him for sure it's same thing with uh you know it's one of your rivals but king Felix i mean i just i I love the way he pitches he's one of the best right-handers I've ever seen personally and probably going to be all-time he's going to be a hall of famer it looks like but he's never pitched in October and uh, I just want to you know we just we want to see that so happy for Tulo about that for sure I agree though all all the everything's around him all the all the people close to close to Tulo and the, and that trade as it went through uh, have talked about just how unhappy he is with the way it went down and I don't know how that affects someone's mentality when they go to the next place you know could be a chip on his shoulder and he'll just completely overperform but there again you know is there any is is there any team in baseball right now that has less of a clear game plan than the Rockies franchise? Where is that?
1: Um, back I mean, to go back to one of your other comments uh just this idea of players getting to to see october baseball and just wondering if the the new setup the two wild cards now um if more players are going to be able to get that chance uh and i'll be interesting uh, especially if it's you know with baseball it's uh it's a repeat thing you gotta get your at-bats in and it's a consistency thing so maybe with the two wild cards more and more teams have a shot, you know, year to year. Um, but is it going to be that consistent testing in October? If you're not a San Francisco giant, you know?
0: Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's, yeah. You know, there's another team that, that was the Atlanta, the, the, the saw that the Braves ran into back in 2002 and in 2010. So might have to come back to that too. um, sure. So, uh, let me ask you this question. Are the Red Sox still is there still much bad blood and, and still a good rivalry there with the A's? Uh, you know, at this point,
1: um probably not. Uh yeah, I just remember more like uh two thousand four, you're kinda kinda happy for them. I was happy for Keith Folk um being part of that team. Um then after two thousand seven and then again, in 13, it was just sort of like enough, you know, and it, I got more of a problem sometimes with the Red Sox fans than thinking that, like, all this is due to them because of, you know, the the curse of the Bambino and now they're finally winning. I'm just like, what? Yeah, <laughs> yeah because you won. Share the wealth a little bit now. So, uh,
0: no. yeah. No, <laughs> Boston fans will not do that they no. they were tormented and bitter there the that level of bitterness from all the years of losing you'd think having the greatest basketball franchise out there arguably more than the Lakers by a wide margin just because of the you know always been in Boston whereas the Lakers started in Minneapolis but you know given all that they are not going to let go of the of the of the riches that they enjoy right now although what's happening yeah. with Tom Brady is hilarious so <laughs> And by all accounts, the Hanley Ramirez signing could be one of the worst in baseball history. I mean, he's having one of the worst years of his career. He's super expensive and he's a clubhouse cancer. So good luck with that one, Red Sox nation. Um, But I'm I'm thinking, you know, more 2003, that ALDS series in particular, is there still some sort of animosity that fuels when you play the Red Sox from uh, from uh, from that year in particular?
1: No, not so much from 2003. I think if I were going to pick a team where, you know, kind of wounds open up, it's uh, it's Detroit. That's actually seeing Cespedes go from Boston to Detroit. That was rough. It's like, I know he's not an A anymore, but it was just like, oh, man, he's got, he's got to be there. He's got to play for them now. Because Detroit got us in, what was it, 06? Yeah. Got us in the pennant. 2012, got us in 12. And then again, I'm thinking 13. Um So for me, the the team that kind of pushes that
0: button now is it's the Tigers. Wow. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Well, all this leads up to Jonathan Papelbon going to the Nationals. Um, Kind of interesting in that he restructured his contract to make it work. He was really the first to want to jump off of the sinking ship that is the Philadelphia Phillies right now, uh, even before Cole Hamels. So he was a Red Sox. Um, Your thoughts on Papelbon to the Nationals?
1: Yeah. Um, all I can think of is I remember a friend from college who actually, you know, it's from Boston, so he's a Red Sox fan and he was talking about this great t-shirt that says, uh, Papelbon says Jesus left on the the two on in the bottom of the eighth or something. Uh, <laughs> so clearly, uh, you know, Papelbon still got it. And, uh, you know, interesting that he also stipulated, um, I wanna stay a closer. I mean, given that he's been around as long as he has and um, you know, thirty four, it's uh I guess closer can still be a good role for him. Uh you know, especially if you can just make it a one, two, three. Mariano Rivera certainly was able to make a long run of it. But as far as what he adds to the, the National Fulton at this moment, that's um, have to do a little bit more, more reading up on that.
0: Well, let me tell you, that is a uh, <clears throat> that's a sore subject here in Braves country because the Nationals are already head and shoulders above everybody else in the NL East, especially my hometown Atlanta Braves. And right. it's like, you know, you're looking at a lineup that's got like Bryce Harper and a Zimmerman who is a little diminishing returns on the all-star that he used to be. But still, when he's healthy, that's a really dangerous bat. And then the starting rotation, forget about it. I mean, Scherzer, yeah. we all know. I mean, there's there's one for the Tigers that you can stick back at him. I mean, not only the <laughs> fact that they will be once again trading away for the first time in like a decade, uh, but, yeah. you know, they give Verlander the big contract in 2013 and let Scherzer walk a year later. That hasn't panned out too well. so Yeah, but, and I think
1: maybe that was one of the – when you make the more emotional decision for, you know, Verlander, the maybe the hometown favorite, you know, came up. He had a rough rookie season, and they really sort of nurtured him through. So maybe they're thinking he's our guy, and they have to stick with him versus who's going to be the better pitcher for them in the years to come. I don't know.
0: Right, yeah. Well, you know, the Nationals really are kind of in a weird win-now scenario. Uh, you know, it looks as though Strasburg is going to walk because – scott boris is his agent and he always takes his uh clients to free agency no matter what um Mm -hmm. so he could be gone and then you look at you look at the debacle of 2012 what how they just kid gloved strasburg that year shutting him down after he reached the 160 innings or whatever whatever it was you know Mm -hmm. i think they finally realized that the 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 gold ring doesn't come around uh every year you know, and so to make such an assumption, uh, is foolish. So looking back on that makes even more sense why they would do this deal and do it this year. Um, and really, you know, that's been the biggest issue for the nationals is their, their closer role. I always loved it. It's interesting. Tyler Clippard goes to the Mets. I loved it when Clippard came in to face the Braves because he always blew it. We always took him to task. And it was like if the Braves were down by a couple of runs going into the bottom of the ninth against the Nationals, I'd always be like, oh, cool. This is great. Well, they'll bring in (laughs) Clippard and we'll come right back and win this game. So Um, and then, you know, uh, to keep with this one's not getting as many waves, but I think it should. Uh, uh, Steve Cieszek from the Marlins to the Cardinals. Um, So here we have the rich getting richer with the Cardinals. Um, How do you feel about this one? Uh,
1: I couldn't really make this one add up. Um, I mean, it looks like Kesich kind of having a, an off season, by all accounts. And um, Cardinals have a, a league leading ERA as a team, and not a bad 2.37 as a bullpen. Um, so why they would bring in a guy who's, who's kind of struggling, and you know he's got that funky delivery. So mechanics are always going to be something for him, and maybe they just. You know, their pitching coach says, you know, I got this. I can I can help him figure something out. I, I saw it on the video, what he's not, you know, doing with his wrist or whatever. Um, so, yeah, and as you say, the, the rich get richer. I mean, sometimes you trade, and what I was talking about with the Lester thing, sometimes you mess with a good thing a little too much. Um, so it'll be interesting if, in trying to find a role for him, how the other guys in the bullpen have to adjust because, you know, it's, it's got to be tough sitting out there waiting for how is this game going to shake out? Do I need to be mentally prepared? When do I start getting physically prepared with, you know, stretching and starting to toss a little bit? And maybe sometimes you do that and it's just all a, a decoy move. You want to see if <laughs> the other guy will right. open in the pinch hitter or something like that. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, I think it's always interesting how, how bullpens get managed on both the – when
0: players go in and then just sort of what roles everyone get. yeah well and in the case of the cardinals the cardinals way which we hear all too often you know with 100 years of evidence to back it up that they are a uh uh, uh what's the word a reclamation factory they can take yeah. broken product and turn it into all-star better than anyone you know i mean around here in atlanta of course the big lament is that you know the one of the most infamous trades in braves history is uh jd drew to the braves for adam wainwright but an interesting sports illustrator article comes out a couple of years ago about how wainwright was not doing well in our system and it was in fact and he credits this uh himself that dave duncan is who made him the pitcher that he is today so i see this i i have no doubt that uh C-Shick is going to he'll be just fine and he even you know since he came back from his um stint at double a he's had a you know a really low era i think uh it's like sub one in 13 games since june so that's pretty good and so once again the cardinals are just gonna you know make me miserable so um but uh and, and you know it's interesting the marlins they they loaded up so much last year coach of course has now (laughs) <laughs> infamously pick them to be the world series champs. They're like the, the inverse Marlin or the inverse athletics, you know, yeah, they don't find value. They overpay and then ship away. You know, I mean, they do just the straight try and buy it off the shelf and then the fire sale. So I think for Marlins players going into this season, they had to have it in their mind that they were going to be a big time contender and so I think uh, same thing with Papelbon to the Nationals. I think when Seashick gets from the cellar into the penthouse that it'll motivate him to a different level. And, you know, such as the Cardinal way, players love playing there. Yeah. So. Um, so lastly, but certainly not least, and this looks to be the big rental of the trade deadline pending what happens in the next few days. But Johnny Cueto goes to the Royals. Royals lose a big prospect and Brandon Finnegan, who was, a, who was, big time for him in the postseason last year um but cueto this is his walk year he's going to be worth a grillion dollars in the offseason which the royals will probably not want to pay at all mm-hmm. so this kind of looks like the a's of last year going after lester so how do you view this trade for the royals and for cueto oh uh,
1: well i think it's always great when you pick up somebody who's you know excited to join your club i mean um the- kind of got the ESPN or sorry, the Kansas city.com article up here. And he's got the, the Twitter photo with his Royal crown hat on and just all these sorts of things. So, um, again, I think it uh, sometimes just comes down to personalities. Uh, is he going to fit into the, the clubhouse? Um, cause a, a lot of things come down to chemistry sometimes and, and guys just being able to, to play well on the field. Uh, We'll see where it gets the Royals in terms of really going for. We're going to make this final push, um, and I think it's going to be interesting how trades develop now that we're getting more and more familiar with the two wild card spots. Because um, yes, it means that there are more opportunities to try to get into the postseason, but also it's, uh, it's tougher to get there as a wild card, and then you know you got the odds stacked against you and getting there. So, or trying to get past the first round. So you can make all these moves and then uh, it can quickly flame out for you. So I think maybe just sort of given that scenario, the trade deadline is going to be maybe less and less of a, a big splash in terms of big names and, and who goes where. And maybe it'll be a little bit more about long-term building and, and getting the right guys for right roles and in terms of numbers. But that's
0: my prediction. Yeah. Well, I I agree. I agree with that. I mean, we the coach and I talked about that last week with just how the July non waiver deadline is changing and evolving and and that, you know, general managers have started making this push kind of, you know, amongst themselves that the trade deadline should be moved to uh a few weeks back, like to middle of August, so they have a better idea of where they stand. So I agree with that. I, I think the Royals I, I love watching them play. Um, I was so on board with them last year. What a great World Series that was! Uh, but you know, heartbreaking for the Royals, of course. But they look to me like the '91 Braves so much, and in fact, they even have a, a Braves product from those years managing them. But they want to—they want to make sure they capitalize on all this goodwill. There, you have a long-suffering franchise that went from a, an amazingly dramatic World Series title in '85 and then a 30-year wandering the desert trying to find you know a team that is successful and you can get behind they do it last year and so I think you know this this deal they don't you know they they are fully admitting that this is for this year to try and win it this year and you look at uh at how Lester once he came to the A's last year you know it was uh it was not the revival it wasn't the 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 good feeling that you you mentioned and you know certainly didn't pan out to a title so
1: well, I mean, it's a, it's easy to kind of point the finger at Lester, and actually, some people were talking about the curse of Festetics and talking about you know Red Sox rivalries with the A's, and I was always against that name. I was like, no, we're not, <laughs> we're not going to be like them. We're not going to call it that. Uh, and you know, Lester's numbers were were there. Uh, I think what really kind of happened to the A's were a number of injuries that we didn't really know about or know the extent of until after the season. Um, you know, just case in point to go from having three catchers to needing to get a catcher and get Giovanni Soto in kind of at the last minute, Um, just kind of talk to you where the A's were. And it's tough given the way that they play. It's You got players who can move around, but if you have guys out for extended period of time, and that means guys filling in to their, not their prime spot, but their, you know, secondary or, or third spot, um, it's going to kind of mess with the overall chemistry. And I think that's kind of what happened
0: with the, the A's slow decline last season. Yeah. Well, it's certainly interesting to watch the Royals uh, even more than they already were. All right. So still a couple of big names that are most likely going to move. So uh, with two days to go, or two and a half, as it were, where do you uh, where do you predict uh, uh, some of these people will end up? Let's start with, of course, Mr. Cole Hamels. Where do you see him going and what will the Phillies get in return?
1: Well, I think if uh, the Phillies are smart, they're gonna get some look at some good prospects. Um that's how I would kind of approach it. Cole Hamilton, I mean he could he could maybe have his pick, I mean, uh let his agent go out there and say, Hey man, where do you want to go? And we'll we'll try to get you there.
0: Yeah. Here's an interesting thought. Anaheim. If he ends up on the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, uh how would you feel about that?
1: Uh, what
0: did you say earlier about the about the rich get richer? Yep. <laughs> well, that's that's the thing. I mean, his destinations are limited because he's got such a big contract. Now, granted, it's it's for a shorter length of time, so it, it would appear val- more valuable, I guess. But mm-hmm. the numbers, the dollars and cents. I mean, we're talking like Yankees, Dodgers. Uh, the angels, um, maybe even the giants, I don't know, that would be interesting, but I think the giants are too smart, you know, they understand chemistry in a crazy good way. And that's the problem with Cole Hamels is he's not a, he is not a nice man. Um, Mm -hmm. he has never been, uh, accused of being the greatest teammate ever. So, but I think if he went to Anaheim, which just doesn't seem to really understand that concept, um, that's where i think he'll end up so uh well, if you're
1: talking big names like that then it's maybe it's got to be star power for star power because you can't uh you know make room for a guy like cole handles without losing a guy um you know only five spots on a rotation so
0: yeah and the and the phillies just straight up need to get younger you know i think if they get any young prospect i mean they're they're so openly and, and rightfully so in rebuilding that I don't I don't think a, a Phillies fan will care if it's fifty cents on the dollar at this moment. They're going to invest that fifty cents and hopes it becomes two dollars down the road. So, um, so in the American League, uh, the Tigers, and I know you're loving that they're <laughs> they're selling off this year. Where do you see David Price come come Saturday morning? kind of a, the
1: same names that we were just talking about: Dodgers, Yankees, Giants. Um,
0: he loves pitching in LA now price though. I could see him going to, uh, your rival giants. I I think that the giants, I mean, they, they just, they're going to have goodwill for 20 plus years now. If they never win another division crown or see October, which isn't going to happen. Um, right. But I, I think that they're they're now on the cardinal level of, you know, we'll take any any asset out there, good or bad, and turn it into something great or use it completely to our advantage. So I could see David Price coming in there and sliding nicely behind Madison Bumgarner, because truthfully, they don't have a really big number two. you know, can't rely on Matt Kane. I don't even I haven't even heard the name Lincecum in a long time. So that right? would be an interesting destination. Um, But I do think that the Dodgers pull that off, although, you know, after like the game last night, what the Dodgers really need is hitting. So that brings us to Ioannis Cespedes. I think he's a Dodger for certain. Um, Really? Yeah. I I mean, especially with the struggles of Jock Peterson and Yasiel Puig. And you look at, you know, Puig, a fellow Cuban defector. um, I say... Cespedes will be wearing the Dodger blue before the week's out. Your thoughts?
1: it will be nice to see um, Cespedes out of a Tiger uniform. And, uh, you know, when he came up, one of my concerns, actually, when uh, he got traded to the Red Sox was, uh, you know, he, he had a translator here, and it was sort of a, you know, really liked the guy. And so if he wasn't going to be with us, I wanted to make sure he was going to be uh, someplace that worked out for him. So it was sort of like, well, if he goes to the Red Sox, I mean, that's, it's so much press. It's a high pressure situation. It's not like Oakland where, you know, we can be a little bit more forgiving if you, you know, make an error or something or uh, Red Sox nation and press will, will pick up on everything. Uh, so just kind of wondering how he would sort of pan out there. And if you would feel comfortable, um, like what you're saying about, him and we having a, a chance to bond, and and maybe it would give Cespedes that chance to transition from, you know, what do you call them when they're not really it's not their rookie season anymore, but they're they're still kind of new to the big leagues. Right. Um You kind of you're at that moment where it's like, are you gonna be here like for a long time, and you know, start to mentor the the new guys coming up, or are you gonna, you know, start to kind of straight around, bounce around, and then just look for for your retirement date. Um, It's just nice to see, you know, Cespedes have a a good long career and and make that transition to uh, being more of a franchise player Um, because that's the other thing. You know, the way that he got flipped from Boston to Detroit, um, he he could really be, you know, one of those franchise guys which are becoming fewer and fewer in in this kind of uh, money-balled market.
0: Right. And that's really that's the see, I look at him as a, a class example, him and David Price of the Premier League mentality. It's like, all right, well, let's get these guys because I think that Ioannis is a a a big piece of a franchise in the future. I think the, the what he's entering into, as you as you say, is his prime, you know, um, he's got. You know, uh, solid years of big league production. He's played in all-star games. He had that epic home run derby in 2013. So clearly he likes the spotlight, great clubhouse character. I mean, that's somebody that you want as a part of your franchise. Um, and the Red Sox, I think that they would have made him into um, a part of their long-term plans um, had they not <laughs> foolishly gone after uh, Hanley. Um, and they needed the pitching. And so hence they found the perfect trade partner in Detroit. And likewise, Detroit was hoping that Cespedes would be a big part of their team this year for their ever failing quest to finally win a world series. So, so I don't know. I think that, uh, if he ends up in LA though, you're right. There's this, star power that he'll thrive in I believe but then they're so laid back you know he's not going to get skewered the way he does in Boston and even in Detroit you know Detroit fans are great but they uh just booed Justin Verlander off the mound not too long ago so they'll get on you if they don't think you're uh you're pulling your weight so all right so uh so we'll just have to see um so real quick and I'll get you out on this Oakland has been at the center of uh, you know, a bunch of talks about getting a new stadium. The dot Co., well, it's kind of near the bottom as far as the general populace is concerned and rating major league facilities kind of first and second with Tampa Bay as far as uh, what in the world are we still doing playing here. So tell us a little bit about the experience there. Right now, and, and what do you want to see as far as Oakland in a future stadium? Uh,
1: well, I have a great plan for their future stadium. They should uh, get a place down in Emeryville with the Bay and Golden Gate Bridge as views in the outfield. And uh, I think Pixar should pick it up, Pixar Stadium. You heard it here first.
0: <laughs> nice. And,
1: yeah, um, so that, that they can would call be my it. Vote. And Yeah.
0: They can call it the toy Uh, box. I see it already.
1: (laughs) So, uh, yeah, I mean, years ago there was talk about the A's doing something down in this area called Jack London Square, kind of like a a waterfront. So it would have been a lot like what the Giants have right now. Um, As far as the other things that have been talked about, uh, moving to Fremont, uh, the baseball village, I I don't really see that kind of going through and, Um, I don't think they'll they'll get farther south because I don't think any owners are going to want to set the precedent of kind of, you know, moving into somebody else's territory where they've got the TV rights and and all that other kind of stuff. So um, I think the A's are, you know, in in a great way. I think they're kind of stuck here. Um,
0: Isn't that great?
1: Yeah, I was like, you're not going anywhere. I mean, you can trade all the players you want, but, like, the the team is going to stay um, but, you know, it, I think in a, another way, it actually kind of kind of woke up these fans in a way. Uh, I was still in Chicago when all uh, this talk was going on and was thinking, my God, I mean, if they did move, they would have to be the first major league team to play in four cities, Philadelphia, Kansas City, Oakland, and then wherever they end up. And if it was going to be Fremont, that's not really a uh nationally known name, so is it gonna be the Oakland A's of Fremont? Are they gonna to try to pull a, a, an Anaheim Angels thing here or you know, what what are they gonna do? Um and so one of the, the kind of local responses was there were these T shirts and bumper stickers and they said stay and then the, the A and stay was sort of the A's logo. So um I think a, in a sense Oakland fans kinda of rallied. It was sort of the start of the right field bleacher crew and and all those people who just go crazy. And, you know, I've been to one game in the right field bleachers, and it was, uh, let's see, 2013, I want to say, and it was the first game of the series with Detroit first coming back. Donaldson had to walk off uh, extra innings. It was insane. Um, And just talking to the fans that are out there, you know, like, why do you come here? You know, how many games do you come to? When did you start? And they all kind of look at you like, you're a little weird, which is crazy because, I mean, they're, they've are they got beads and drums and flags. And they go, well, I just sort of started coming because, you know, my buddy Joe was coming all the time. So you ask Joe, well, why did you start coming? He's like, oh, I was here because just another friend was coming. And um, it all just kind of fed in on itself. And I think there was a lot of fans wanting to show the team some love. Like, we want you here. Stay here. Or we're going to be here for you. Um so in terms of the A's moving, I think it's it's still lurking in the background, but you hear stuff about them renewing their lease on the O.Co. So um, it's hard to know where that really is in terms of are they going, are they staying, are they going to stay in O.Co. I mean, it seems like there's plenty of space around it. They could maybe build another stadium right next to it, do one of those things, um, and hopefully get the, the sewer worked out because we hear about it flooding every
0: season and that's just gross <laughs> oh yeah i mean that's just not right that's just not even sanitary and we're clearly a first world country right i mean that yeah, yeah. they should be able to figure that out i mean I, what would you I mean, feel about you know let's say that they can't get a new stadium but why don't we just you know talk to the giants and let them co- co-inhabit at&t for a year while they uh fix some things up around the old dot co so um you know, when Sunny Gray pitches, it's must-see MLB at bat for me, and I love it when it's at home and hearing those fans. So, uh, you know, it's really, though cavernous, it seems like a really great atmosphere. And, and-
1: Yeah, and again, with the right-field bleacher crew, I mean, they were talking about, you know, some of them when they first started coming, it was so empty that they just decided to, to make an X in the stands. Like, they, there were enough of them that they could just make an X in the seats. Um And again, as you're saying, it's so cavernous that you kind of need to fill it up with things like drums and flags and and crazy signs. Like, there's sort of the space for it. Um, And, uh, you know, say what you will about all that foul territory. It does make for some great plays every once in a while. I love it. Um, (laughs) Yeah.
0: I absolutely love it. Anything that gives more opportunity for just, you know, crazy wild pitches and, anything that moves the game around the bases and in, in fun ways. I'm I, I love all that foul territory. So, yeah. so, all right. Well, um, Pixar stadium, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. You know, they can, they can call it the toy box and I see that view already. Well, yeah. Kate, thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been great. Um, what are you off to right now? Uh,
1: I'll be headed into work. Um, Worked with a, a local catering company here. Uh, started out as a as a server when I moved home, just sort of a way to kind of keep myself out of trouble, stay busy. It was a, a company I did some shifts with, you know, back in college on school breaks. And uh, eventually that turned into, you know, I love food so much. Why is my side gig not my main gig? So kind of started to focus on that and um, has turned into a, another passion uh got my certification as a sommelier last month so uh working on that too
0: all right so restaurants it is mm-hmm. restaurants and catering sounds good well thank you so much for coming on the show we will definitely uh have you on again and uh, as always thank you to everyone listening uh on our website at runningthebases.com uh as always you can download us on soundcloud or at the itunes store and make sure you follow us on facebook and on twitter leave your comments love to hear your comments back so we know what we're doing right and what we're doing wrong and maybe we can fix the other stuff so we'll see so for kate thank you this is tucker wells thank you tucker oh my pleasure you're welcome and for running the bases we're coming into home and we're safe